I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where you've just been so exhausted, so tired, that you didn't even really know where you were and what you were doing. Um, a few weeks ago, I was talking to some friends, and they were asking what our two children were like when they were really, really tiny. Um, and I had to admit, slightly sheepishly, that I have no idea what our children were like when they were really small. I mean, I, I remember them being born, don't, don't get me wrong. I remember strapping them into their little car seats and, like, trying so desperately not to drop the car seats as we took them to the car for the very first time. Anyone else been there? Yep. I remember that. I remember at two o'clock in the morning, turning on classical music and putting it on the radio in their cot so that we might get some sleep. I remember crying out to God, God, please, please, could we sleep today? I'm just desperate. I remember those things. But if you ask me like what their personalities were like when they're little, I have to be honest, it was just a little bit of a blur because it was so much about survival. Now, some of you are probably better without sleep than I am. I have to admit, I am not great without sleep. Less than seven hours a night, and I'm probably not the best friend you will ever have. Like, after 10 o'clock at night, also not the best friend that you, that you will um, ever have. Some of you are much better than that. But I imagine um, in 2020, as Daniel said a little bit earlier on, nearly at the end of 2020, shock horror, Southern California is still hot. Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I imagine we've all known something of tiredness this year. I imagine we've all known something about weariness this year. I imagine we've all struggled with some sort of sense of kind of burnt out this year. Um, there was a study done in late June, all those months ago, um, and found that across the whole of America, 40% of American adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. Like just, just take that in for a minute, 40%. Like it's not much less than half of all Americans were struggling with mental health and substance abuse in June. I don't even know what the statistic might be um, this week. So many of the things that we've used to fill up our lives, to pad out our lives, have been affected this year, have either gone away or been restricted in some way. And I don't know about you, but that can feel very exposing. It can, we can be left feeling very vulnerable, very naked, when suddenly everything around us is stripped away. And as we get to the end of 2020, I wonder if you're really honest, and I'm, don't worry, there's no public sharing about to happen, I wonder what it is that you have used in your life this year to fill the void. What have you eaten? What have you drunk? What have you bought? What relationship have you started? What have you watched? Or what is left in the whole world that you've not watched on TV yet to fill the gap in your life? Well, here's the good news. Today, this morning, we have Jesus's answer to people like us people who are a bit tired, a bit worn down, a bit burnt out. Jesus has these beautiful words for us. And as I opened up the passage for this week, like 10 days ago now, and I just looked at what was next in the series, and I realized that this was election week and all those things, I just looked at it and was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your word speaks and is alive and well and comes in season to our lives. So Daniel's going to bring our reading, which will be up on the screens uh, for us. Hey guys, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 11:25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in this incredibly turbulent world that Jesus is living in, where his own safety is increasingly becoming under threat, where he's facing opposition, where there's all sorts of political turmoil and things going in that, on in that region of the world, Jesus in the midst of it says these incredible words. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you don't hear anything else in the next half an hour of our service, just hear these words from Jesus for you today. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't we need that rest? Well, what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, come to him? Well, obviously on some level, Jesus is clearly talking about the cosmic spectrum. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about healing. He's talking about the fact that without Jesus, we actually have nothing, that we need Jesus to bring salvation to our lives because if we try and live a life without Jesus, we have just no access to the Father. Jesus says in today's passage, no one comes to the Father except the Son. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The way that we know Jesus, the way we know God is through Jesus. He is our access to God. And if you're not a Christian today, if you're tuning in online and you would never say that you know God through Jesus, then his invitation to you this morning, as every morning, is the same. Come, give your life to him, follow him, find meaning and purpose and salvation and eternal life in him. But it seems like in the language that Jesus is using today, there's something else that's going on that's even a little bit more than just like the eternal story. When Jesus says, come to me, he seems to mean now, he seems to mean in this moment, he seems to mean people who are particularly struggling. And I wonder this morning, I have this question for you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Like not do you know about Jesus, but do you actually know him? Uh, these last weeks have been really interesting weeks if you're a Lakers fan, right? You know, if, if you'd have asked me three weeks ago, what, are, what can I tell you about the Lakers? I could have told you that they play at Dodger Stadium. Um, I could have told you that they uh, play this thing called baseball. I could have told you what the chips taste like out of those hats when you go to Dodger Stadium, you sit high up. I could have told you that, but I couldn't have told you too much else. I have, like, have to admit to you that when Laura and I first went to a Dodgers game, we spent most of the first game not knowing the rules of the game. And so there were like all these different stats up on the board and I couldn't even tell you who was winning because there were just so many numbers until someone pointed out like in like the ninth innings or something oh yeah it's just the first number it's like whoever's got more runs they're winning oh it's like oh fine I actually understand a little bit more now about Dodgers but of course over the last few weeks I and Laura and probably all of us in some way we're getting seriously excited about the events that have unfolded on our tv screens 
I've had a great, like teachers and people like Jeff have been teaching me about Dodgers. And obviously on Tuesday night, right in the middle of Alpha, when the deepest moment of our conversation, fireworks lit up the night sky as Dodgers won the World Series, right? And Corey Seager got the MVP for the World Series, right? Um, he is uh, the shortstop uh, for the Dodgers. He drove in the go-ahead run in the sixth innings of the LA Dodgers series, clinching game six victory over the Rays. And if you remember that game, Dodgers won that 3-1. Um, the LA shortstop, he finished the series with a 400 average. He hit two home runs, five RBIs, and he led all the players with seven runs scored, right? If you have no idea what I just said, don't worry. I didn't either about three weeks ago either. Corey Seager is an amazing baseball player. He makes a huge difference. He's not the only amazing baseball player. He plays for Dodgers. But do you know what? I know a lot about Corey Seager. I've been learning. I've been Googling. I've been studying a little bit about who Corey Seager is and where he came from and how he bats and like how he feels and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? I don't actually know Corey Seager. Like, I wish I could tell you that I knew Corey Seager. I wish I could tell you that I could just phone him up and like, hey, man, well, you had a really great game. And I wish I could get some batting advice for him. I wish, I wish that, you know, like he would just give me some parenting advice or whatever else it might be. I, I can't phone up Corey Seager because although I know lots about him, I don't actually know him. And the same is true with our relationship with Jesus. Like some of us have been going to church for a very long time, probably longer than we'd ever care to admit out loud to anybody else. Maybe you've sat through like thousands of sermons. Maybe you are even the person who comes to church with a Bible and a notebook and takes notes in sermons. By the way, if that's you, I love you. I love you. Those people are so amazing. We need more of those people in church. Maybe you've sat through like a million Sunday school sessions Maybe you've been to all the big conferences, all the big worship events. But do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Not just as a kind of some sort of scary God who is over there, but do you know him as a friend? Do you know him as a confidant? Do you know him personally? Jesus says, come to me. Find rest in me. And he doesn't say like, come in your Sunday best with your best hats on, with all your best theological answers. He doesn't say that. He says, just come as you are, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are burnt out, come to me. Jesus is supposed to be in some ways like that family member or the friend that you have, you know, when you go around their house and you just got your sweatpants on and your hoodie up and like everything else is a complete mess and you just go and you slob out on their couch and you just like put the TV on and you just, you just talk. There's no pretense. There's no need to pretend anything. Jesus says, come to me because I want a relationship with you that's like that. Find rest for your souls, Jesus said, in me. Now, we can often think about God who is mighty, God who is other, God who sometimes feels a little bit angry and out there, God who smites and judges and uses words like thee and thy and they and whatever else words like that there might be in the dictionary. But actually, Jesus says, no, come. I am gentle and I'm humble of heart. I want a relationship with you. So how do we do it? How do we come to Jesus? Well, you know, this morning we could talk about Bible study. We could talk about the importance of getting into the word of God regularly and hearing God's word come off the pages and, and bring truth to our life. We could talk about worship. We could talk about what we do and we sing and praise God and stand with other people and just have those incredible experiences. We could talk about community groups and living out faith. We could talk about Sunday services. We could talk about so many different aspects of the Christian life. But this morning what I want to do is I want to think with you about that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship that we have with Jesus. The one that goes on in the quiet, 
in the stillness, in the dark, when nobody else is around. And I'm going to do it under two headings because this is the level of intellect that I have. It's very straightforward. Number one, we actually need to talk to Jesus. And number two, we need to listen to Jesus. Hopefully we can all remember those points this morning. That's my level anyway. Number one, we need to be people who talk regularly and often to Jesus. We actually have to find space and we have to find time. If you ever want to have a relationship with anybody, it seems to me that it always ultimately comes down to communication and it comes down to time. If you don't have those two things in a relationship, it's not going to be a very good relationship. But even in 2020, it seems to me like finding time for anything is still really difficult. Like we live in a culture which is so unbelievably overloaded on the concept of hurry, isn't it? Like um, if you went back like about probably 200 years, 300 years before Thomas Edison invented the light bulbs like above my head, how many hours sleep a night do you think the average American got? You can answer online if you want on the chat. What do you reckon? Anyone shouting out? 12, not quite. 14, even more, <laughs> that would be nice. 11 hours, the average American slept 11 hours. When you read about those spiritual giants from like 400 years ago who got up at four o'clock in the morning and they prayed for two hours and we're always like, wow, I could never be that person. You know why? It's because they went to bed at six o'clock in the evening. That's why they got up so early in the morning. And we live in a culture which is so just overwhelmingly wired on hurry, on being busy and important. If we don't move fast enough, we have to assume that we're not important enough. If people want to show me some sort of like um, sense of respect as a pastor, they'll often say to me something like this. Oh, Ben, how are you? You must be so busy. It's like the ultimate badge of honor that somebody can wear is if they are that important that their whole lives are filled up with activity. When Dallas Willard, in fact, that spiritual giant, he says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Carl Jung, who was the guy who did the Myers-Briggs stuff, incredible personality guy, he said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. In 1967, President Nixon had a subcommittee of his government which looked into technology and automation. And they found, or they recommended, or thought and predicted that by 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. Sound good? Did it happen? Absolutely not. Uh, this year, or particularly last year, maybe more accurately, you know, the average American worked 44 hours a week and many got exactly no vacation, like whatsoever. We are in a space which is so contested and so busy. And, you know, even in 2020, it strikes me that, like, that still has been the case for many of us. I had a friend who's a great theologian. He was one of my seminary professors. And he wrote this article in March and he said, like, is the world in 2020 going into some sort of enforced Sabbath? Is this the moment, is this the year when we're supposed to stop and pray and watch and listen out for God's voice and spend time with him? And I was thinking about his words the other day and I was realizing, oh man, 2020 has probably been one of the busiest years of my life. I realized that my kids, even though they can't go to school, go to more school than they ever used to go to before because they are on more hours of Zoom calls than they ever were when they were in the classroom. You know, like we used to have this thing called commuting where you got in a car in the morning, you sat on the 210 for two hours and then you got out of the car like four junctions up and then you went to work and then you sat for two hours and you came back again. We used to have that thing in our lives 
And now we don't even have that thing. What you do is you get out of bed, you go and have your breakfast, and then you go back to your bedroom and you sit in front of a screen for the next eight hours, right? We have had this, we have not, not rested. We've actually found new ways to be busy and important and to get things done. Jesus says, stop, wait, come to me. Maybe if the world is crazy out there, maybe if things are like stormy, maybe the very thing that we need more than anything else is to develop time with God, to learn, as Eugene Peterson interprets this passage, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Maybe we should be too busy not to pray in 2020 and in a week of the election. Maybe we should reorientate our lives so that Jesus comes in that place where we come to him like a child comes to a father or a mother and sits on his lap and spends time getting to know the very one who created us in the first place. So we need to talk to Jesus, but we also really need to listen to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever tried to have a one-way relationship with someone where basically one person in the relationship does all the talking. It's pretty miserable if you've ever tried it. Like... But isn't it interesting that many of us, obviously not you because you're all very spiritual, maybe just me, our prayer lives can be very, very one way, can't they? Can you imagine having a relationship with someone where it was like, oh, I'm really busy. I've got about three minutes, no, maybe like two minutes, uh, and I'm going to be very distracted for the next two minutes anyway. But let me just, um, let me just talk to you, Jesus. Okay, right, Jesus. Uh, can you just today uh, fix this, sort this, give me that, sort that out, heal that person of that? Brilliant, fantastic. I'll see you later. If that was a human relationship, it would be absolutely nuts. But that's so often how prayer gets portrayed in our lives. If we want to know the unforced rhythms of grace, then first of all, we need to know how it is that Jesus speaks. We need to allow his Holy Spirit to move in our very being so that we not just speak to God all the things that we want to be true, but we actually hear his voice speaking to us. And do you know what? The way above any way, or maybe except for the Bible, where I think God loves to do that is when we shut up. When we just stop talking for a bit, that old adage goes, doesn't it? God gave us two ears and one mouth, and that was for a very, very good reason. We need to learn what it means to sit in stillness before God. But I don't know about you, that is not something that comes easy to me because I want to be busy. I want to be important. I want to run around the world. I don't want to sit still for any given amount of time. I don't want to wait. But I have had to learn over the years. Learn what it means to stop. Learn what it means to retreat. Learn what it means to step off the treadmill of life in order to hear the still, quiet, small voice of God in our lives. And the way, one of my favorite ways I've ever had to do that was um, I used to go to an abbey once a month. I actually was in my contract of the last business that I ran. So one day every month I could step out and I could go to this abbey. And this abbey was exactly everything that you think an abbey might be on a film. It was basically this old building, which was very cold in the middle of the countryside, full of very big fat men in brown dresses. That's basically what it was. And it was in silence. Like you would go to this place and you'd have your your own little room, you'd have a bed and, a, and a, like a little basin and you'd have like one window and a little chair. That's all you'd have. And you'd arrive. And I'd arrive at like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning after I'd driven up there from home. And I'd go in this room and I'd sit. It was so quiet because no one was talking. And it was all out in the countryside. And I'd sit on my bed. And of course, to start with, when you try and sit in silence, what happens? 
your head explodes, doesn't it? It, like, it just completely goes crazy with all the things that you haven't done in that day. You think, oh my goodness, did I lock the door? Oh no, like, have, I, have I emailed that person? Oh my goodness, I was supposed to talk to that person about that thing, or what about that, or what about that? And I used to find that like, for kind of 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes, uh, my head would just be like exploding all over the place with all these different things. So in the end, I take my, like, I just take a pen and paper and I just start writing things down of all the things that like to process them, short-term memory, long-term memory, do this, do that, all that kind of stuff. I do that. And then I find after about 20 minutes or whatever it was, suddenly I, like, I would just be overcome by exhaustion. Because like once you've actually stopped, it's suddenly like the whole world catches up with you, doesn't it? And then I realized the reason that they put beds in these rooms, because this is exactly what happens, is once you stop, after about 20 minutes, you fall asleep. Because it's just exhausting. And so I would just then literally go to sleep. And the monks told me when there were occasions when they were allowed to talk, they told me that all these bishops and important people would come to the abbey, and most of the time they would just sleep, and they would sleep, and they would rest. But I'd find like that, you know, I love a day nap. That's me, like full disclosure about sleeping today. I'm all about the power nap. Um, but after I slept for a bit, I find, okay, I'm in a place. I'm, I've, I've found the space. And I would go and I would walk. I'm no good sitting still. I would just go and walk. I'd walk around the grounds. I'd go for a conversation with God. And sometimes it would feel like God would have loads to say. Other times it would feel like I'd walk for hours and I'd be distracted and I'd feel like God had nothing to say. But just like slowly after time, I realized that as I did this, it was not just that God had lots to say to me about, you know, you should move here and you should do this and you should stop doing that and whatever else it might be. It actually just gave me an opportunity to get to know God's character, to know Jesus for myself. And, you know, I found out so many things as I used to go to the Abbey about what Jesus is like. One of the things I found out, and I, some of you will know this, and if you don't, um, I pray that you all experience this for yourself. God has a great sense of humor. Like he really has a good sense of humor. Um, like one of, one of the things about this abbey was that, that um, you, when, because it's all in silence, when you go for lunch, you just sit at these big long benches and you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to like, you know, ask for particular foods. You're not allowed to refuse food. You just have to kind of sit and eat it. And I'd spend the morning kind of talking away with God and, I felt like God had been saying, you know, like Ben, you know, I, I'm going to use you in very diverse contexts. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take you places that you don't expect. And I felt like God was asking me the question, you know, Ben, would you be up for anything? And I, and I was, you know, that morning going, yeah, God, I'm up for anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'm, I'm game for anything. And, and, and so I sat down for lunch that day. Now in my family growing up, like there was never any choice in food. Like there was no DoorDash in my family growing up. It was like, there's the food, eat the food don't complain about the food. That was how it worked when I was growing up. And so I pretty much will eat anything, but there are just this one or two things in the world that I don't really love to eat, if I'm really honest. And as I sat down at this big table with all these big fat monks sit there, this one monk walked up and he bought this huge plate and he just smacked it down on the table in front of me. Now the first three inches above the top of the plate were mashed potato. And I was like, okay, I'm game. Mashed potato, good. Bit of gravy, bit of onions on the top. So this was going really well, except that on top of the onion gravy were slab after slab after slab of fried liver. Absolutely disgusting. Now, some of you probably love liver. It's very good for you. I should heartily recommend it. But for me, that is definitely something I do not want to eat in my life. But I was sitting there, could not refuse it. And not only that, these monks eat fast because there's no talking at the mealtime. So they can, they can consume food and nobody can leave the table until the last person's finished eating. So not only just to eat the liver, I had to eat it as fast as I've ever eaten anything in my life. Now, it maybe was a bit cruel, I don't know, but I laughed. 
When I got back to my room, I just burst out in laughter. I was like, God, you are so funny. Like your sense of humor. This is exactly what you've been talking to me about all morning. And you made it come true in the way of liver. That isn't fair. But actually, it was very funny. There's so much, I think, that God wants to teach us about who he is if we will stop. And you know, out there, the world is stormy, right? This is going to be a big week in the life of our country. There's all sorts of stuff that's going to come across us. People and families are going to get angry with each other if they're not. People are not going to speak to other people. All of that stuff is happening all around us. But it strikes me that if the world is going to be stormy, the voice that we need above every voice in our life is the voice of Jesus. Jesus talks about, about, um, about yoking ourselves. He says in verse 29 about the yoke. Now the yoke was this big wooden sort of beam that went between two oxen so that when the oxen were plowing a field, they were held securely in place with one another so that they would go in a straight line. And Jesus has this whole thing that he wants to say against the Pharisees because the Pharisees are saying, you know, you should be yoked to the law and that the law of God was the very thing that should be like at the center of your being. And they, of course, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the Pharisees used the law to beat people, to look down on people, to make them feel guilty about their existence. They twisted the law. And Jesus says, don't be yoked to the law because the law is just going to like kill you if you just think you're going to live in that sense of legalism. Jesus says, be yoked to me. And it strikes me that we find it so easy to be yoked to all sorts of things in our lives. Like I find it really easy to be yoked to my phone, literally surgically, it feels like at times. You know, we can get yoked to our careers. We can get yoked to our political parties. We can get yoked to our favorite celebrities. We can get yoked to technology or money or fame or all these kind of things. But yet Jesus says, don't be yoked to those things. Because being yoked to those kind of things is like being in the middle of a massive storm and putting out a little kind of buoy on the side of the boat and like holding onto it, expecting that somehow that's going to help you whilst it's being tossed around by the storms of the world. Jesus says, no, anchor yourself, yoke yourself to me and to my voice because it is in me and in my voice where you will find rest, where you will find stability, where you will find equilibrium. Jesus says, take my yoke because my yoke is easy and the burden of my yoke is light. Join yourself to me. So how how might we do it? How might we do it? How does the rest of the day look? How does the rest of this week and the rest of the year look? Well, maybe I could just finish by making a few suggestions for you. And let me just say at the beginning, I'm no master of this. I am often tired and grumpy and sit through my quiet times in a bleary, sleepy moment. But what would it look like for us to take some time out today to be with Jesus? What would it look like, not just to take five minutes, because if you take five minutes, you'll probably just have a head full of stuff that you haven't done yet. What would it look like to take an hour today and go for a walk with Jesus or sit quietly with Jesus? What would it look like to sit in silence? You might want a little model to help you do that. We often talk around here about the pray model, you know, to take time to pause, P for pause, stop, wait on Jesus. What would it look like then to, to, to R, to rejoice? to thank Jesus for what he's done, for what you have, for all that he's provided for you in your life? What would it look like then to ask Jesus for all the things that you don't have or can't see happen this week? And then finally, before you go, why don't we stop and why yield to submit to Jesus and his lordship over our lives? Maybe you could do that just today. But what would it look like even before Christmas to take a whole day to go and be with Jesus, 
to even turn your phone off. Like cold sweat anxiety just broke out across the room if you're watching online. Like, what would it look like to go and just spend a day with Jesus and go and be out with him in nature? We have some beautiful nature to explore around here. What would it look like over the next six months to take three or four days out and just to go on a retreat somewhere with Jesus? You know, this is a battle, and, and I have found in my life, and I'm sure many of you have too, that this is one of the things that the enemy will always try and distract you and rip you away from. The enemy does not want you spending time with Jesus. He will put everything in your way. But I promise you that if you want to survive 2020, if you want to thrive in 2021, you can't do it on the basis of what the news will tell you. You can only do it from having a yoke that attaches you to Jesus. I just want to finish by reading you a couple of things. Um, the first is like this beautiful old hymn. Um, it was written in 1872. Um, it was written in a wonderful country called England that you may have heard of. But just hear this, and then after that, I'm going to read for you the passage that we read in the message translation. This is from Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. Drop your still dews of quietness till all our striving cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace. Breathe through the hearts of our desire your coolness and your balm. Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, wind and fire, O still, small voice of calm. Holy Spirit, even on this beautiful morning here in Southern California or wherever we are, would you come and speak that small voice of calm into our raging spirits? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.